If you're a dog owner, safety and welfare for your pet are of the utmost concern. But there are so many so-called experts out there that many of us don't know where to turn to get the expert advice that we need. Welcome to Taming the Wild in Your Dog with noted dog expert and author Brian Bailey. In this program, we give you the tips you need to connect with your best friend with the most practical advice. Now, here's your host, Brian Bailey. All right, everyone, welcome to another edition of Taming the Wild in Your Dog. Uh, If you've been waiting for this, well, we appreciate it patience. Uh, There's just been a lot of technical issues on both sides of the house here. So we're working through an intermission. Hopefully we'll come in and be nice and clear and then we can move on uh, with this here. We're just kind of waiting for all this to work out. I want to give a big shout out to Richardson, Texas. Apparently they're one of our biggest fans. I know. We saw the the results yesterday, our show results. And yeah, amen. People out of Richardson, Texas. Hey, man, you rock. I tell you what. Uh, and so uh, Dublin, Ireland. There we go. Which, <laughs> by the way, I have it's that. It's true. Yeah. It's true. <laughs> it is the absolute truth. It really is. Cool. So um, everything looking good, Joshua? Can you tell anything? Well, as far as uh, our live feed, probably getting a little bit of a blurry picture. If I, I can't hear our own audio, I can only hear what we have. So if you can't hear what we're saying, you might want to just jump on to, um, voice America. Uh, anyway, we'll work through all that and we're going to keep on going with the show here. Today's show things up to today. One of those is a recent research, uh, study that was done that really just more or less affirms you know, what a lot of really good trainers and really good behaviors already know. Uh, I've said for years, the attitude that goes down the leash is often the one that comes back. And now a study that was formed by Linköping University in Sweden affirms that. And they did it from a scientific level. Uh, They have found out that the levels of stress in dogs and their owners follow each other. And the level of the owner stress is more at play here than the dogs. In other words, the dogs aren't really stressed uh, unless the owner is stressed when they're in their company. So it's... um, that the scientists believe that dogs mirror their owner's stress levels rather than vice versa. Uh, but I am here to tell you, your dog may not be stressed at the moment, but the second it realizes you are, there we go, and so on and so forth. And dogs can become stressed and owners can become stressed because they may not have been stressed, but they feel that their dog is stressed. You know, we see that a lot when dogs are dropped off for boarding. They're brought in for a boarding program. I'm sure a lot of you kennel owners and trainers, you well, and dog owners, uh, you get stressed. Uh, you grab out the suitcases and the dogs immediately start acting differently because the suitcases have become a big trigger. That means we are off to the boarding facility. And we're not going to go with you. So, so they become stressed. And because they become stressed, now we have ears down, little tail tucking, big old eyes that we learned from last week's episode. Or next thing you know, we're stressed. Yep. Happens all the time. Uh, and in this study here, so that dogs are stressed, then they can become so, and this is, I thought was pretty apparent, 
uh, for reasons outside of their owners. But this study mostly focused on if the owner stress, then the dog suddenly becomes stressed. And we see this all the time. Uh, I can, it happens with humans. For example, I can walk into a room and look here through theory of mind. Again, dogs don't have that, but I can look at you maybe with your head down and ask, what's wrong? Mm -hmm. And if you answer back and say, it's all right, give me all the other visual signals that I need, I may ask it again, what's wrong? Yeah, you know. And then the next thing you know, I become stressed. So I so all the time, see this with you back and forth. And a lot of with dogs is, again, they're not Dogs, because of their living with us, have basically done what we call with animals in the wild, self-organizing grouping. In other words, they've um, group. In a lot of instances, they, they self-organize because we bought them as a young puppy, adopted them as an adult, helped and the house then resemble a bit of a zoo. It's got walls. It has glass instead of maybe plexiglass and instead of chain link on the windows. Uh, we just have good old double insulated glass and so forth, but it's contained. But instinct is always the default mechanism for any behavior in animals and humans. So they do what's called self-organizing groups. And you see this, this is common with a school of a flock of birds and some herds of ungulates. And what it is, is this, the animals, because they lack language, emotions and they feed off of each other. And we and really what it is, is the transfer of information is done by monitoring or reacting to the behavior of your neighbor. So dogs did it to us all. We are that neighbor for an animal out in the wild. And we see this a lot. You can, for example, we've read about some of the tragedies in the news. You've heard of, you can go into a theater and you're having a time watching a movie. And, ocean of, and you're thinking, okay, what's going on? You think that one stands up. So you stand up because, again, you are now behaviors respond to local communication. Now, everyone stands up, and so you turn to the person that was seated next to you, and you don't know them, but you ask them, hey, what's going on? And instead of answering, they suddenly start bolting for the exit along with everyone else. And next thing you know, without even knowing what's going on, you are doing what? You are Same bolting <laughs> for the exit. You're probably fighting a bunch of people, making sure that you get out of the exit first. So all of that's involved, and there's just absolutely no doubt that dogs do mirror their owner's stress. But the neat thing about this study is that they did it from a scientific level. Uh, they were able to pull the corticosteroids. You know, a, this is a hormone. And it's mobilized through the stress response. And they were able to take blood samples and also from the hair follicles, and again, attached to the blood. And they were able to measure the cortisol level in dogs and in humans. And they found them to be darn near exactly the same. It said that we found that the levels of long-term cortisol in dogs 
and its owners was synchronized such that owners with high cortisol levels have dogs with high cortisol levels, while owners with low cortisol levels have dogs with low levels. Uh, I can tell you one thing. From years and years of doing what we call canine pharmacotherapy, in which I deal with dogs that are suffering from mental disorders, you can, in the vast majority of cases, make a direct correlation with the owner. Absolutely no. And it's not to say that the owner is to blame. It's just that we humans mobilize our stress response all the time. We send our body into an uproar over the least little things, traffic, money woes. You're thinking about maybe the appointment with a dermatologist tomorrow. You're thinking about the weather. You have a big uh, storm event coming in. We end up mobilizing our stress response with just mere thoughts or anticipation. Well, one of the one of the first things that we do when we evaluate these dogs is take them away from the owner. I mean, because we are immediately able to to see if that dog is just in this chronic state of stress or if it's feeding from the owner's stress levels. Amen. Absolutely. That's, that's part of the evaluation process. Uh, you know, in the last days, have been done like that with humans. Dr. Bowlby years ago uh, did the uh, situational um, uh, test that with, with different stranger tests in which uh, they had different handlers for children and different people and so on and so forth. And we see this, this that test has been replicated many times with dogs. But the situation that we have going on here is when we mobilize our stress response, there's an activity, a wave of responses happening in the body. Heart increases, respiration increases. Many, many things are occurring, so preparing for acute physical crisis. And that's what their stress response was designed for, not to deal with traffic, you know, not to deal with a promotion or not, or a relationship. It was to get away from something trying to eat us. And it's stereotyped, it's generalized, and it turns on whether you are dealing with something trying to eat you or you're simply dealing with traffic and now you're going to be late to work. And dogs, because they don't have language, pick up on that instantly. They do. And because of that, there's absolutely no doubt that dogs will mirror their stressors of their owners. Because why? Again, we go back to organizing grouping. We go to uh, local communication. We go to the fact that I'm a pack animal. And if someone in the pack is afraid, then there must be something fearful around out there in the woods. Uh, if you're a zebra and you're zebra number 1200 and number one, who is about 400 yards away from you grazing, suddenly stands up, ears up, makes a little whining sound and all sudden bolts, you're gone. You're not going to wait around and go, uh, what's up with him? <laughs> Why is he running? Heck no, you're gone. And you're gone right then. So we see this all the time. You can have children that come racing into the room and you're a mom and dad and they're crying and they're screaming and immediately you're thinking, oh no, what happened? What happened? And there we go. So guys, this is a, a pretty neat study. We'll put a link of this study on our website. You guys can go through it. Um, the way they did it, it was really pretty cool. One of the things that they focused on is that, no offense, Karen, but it was women. 
it was women that was part of the study. And uh, the study examined 25 border collies and 30 shepherd dogs, all of them owned by women. The owners and the dogs provided samples on two occasions separated by a month. And since physical activity can increase core levels, it can. I tell people all the time, activating your stress response is not always a bad thing. You need to do that. It happens when you're, when you're doing a puzzle. <laughs> well, I don't do puzzles, but yeah, well. my, if you made me do it, uh, it probably would be. So do the dogs pick up more on our body language or are they picking up more on like chemicals and things that our body is secreting? It typically starts out with the, with the physical signals, but then they start to correlate or pair the same chemical responses that are happening in your body. I mean, am I right? That's how when training service dogs, it starts out as a physical, you know, alerting to or waking up a, a veteran from night terrors. You know, you train the dog to thrashing around and, and things like that. And then it slowly goes down to just uh, raised elevation and breathing. Or, mm -hmm. And then eventually the dog is waking them up before ever any physical signs because of the cortisol steroid. You know, you can't, if, if anyone that's listening or if you've watching live, if you remember mood rings, <laughs> mood rings, mood stones <laughs> yeah. back in the day, I wonder if they're ever going to make a, a comeback. But the way those worked was a, they detected a minute temperature change mm -hmm. because when you mobilize all of this energy under a stress response, you have oxygenated blood flowing through your system. Your temperature is going to go up just through thermogenesis alone, and you'll become flush. Your face becomes flush. You start to sweat. And when you do that, you off-gas, and they smell that. They smell it. And those mood rings picked up on all that temperature change and it turned darker and lighter and so on and so forth. Uh, give you a little bit of biofeedback as to what was going on at that moment. Uh, so that being said, the rest of the report, just going down through it, uh, what they want to do with the report is they want to do more of their plan on studying other breeds because, again, they studied border collies and Shetland sheepdogs. These are typically working dogs and they want to do a comparison if you're doing obedience with your dog, what happens to stress levels then? And they found a lot of correlation in that. Uh, and they want to just keep pushing this thing a little bit further. But again, it just affirms what a good behaviorist and a good trainer, a good veterinarian, anyone who spends a lot of time around dogs, you already knew it. At least you assumed it. But now you have scientific proof as to it does happen because cortisol is not going to be released unless we have a stress response. And if you have a stress response, then that means there's a stressor. And therefore, what, what this really means to me is this. Kind of give yourself some biofeedback every now and then. You can actually cause your dog to act fearful, to be afraid. We can create that and then the dog can actually learn to be afraid from its own biofeedback uh, learning that when i'm afraid it ends up creating certain outcomes that are favorable to me for example those big eyes i'm fearful of this situation and when i'm fearful of this situation that human comes over and picks me up and the, or the human gives me a treat at that moment, or I simply just get my way. So dogs can actually learn to be fearful. 
you know, kind of like a human who talks themselves into something, they start to do the same thing. They literally start building up. So what used to be major events that caused the animal to become stressed soon one day become very minor events. And we are contributing factors in that big time. So do you think that I contributed to Dave's fear of flies? Did I do that? <laughs> no, that would be that would be the bug assault. Which, by the way, guys, if you uh, you got to get one, they're oh, way yeah. cool. It's basically a little plastic gun that you put salt in and you cock it, and you get to shoot flies. When I came and, over to your house, I basically became five again. It was the best. Oh, amen. <laughs> the, the bug assault is it. But I Dave think Dave won't uh, even come outside with us anymore because he's so afraid of flies. Well, he comes out when there's no flies, but as soon as he sees the flies, he's gone. There. He's under a bush. Well, what happens, you know, you create a trigger, and now if we want to, it's not a big deal. Dave's a little five-pound dog. It's not a big deal. Uh, he doesn't like to be outside very much anyway. He eats up real quickly. So not a huge deal. We really wanted to work on it. We could desist that and fall away from having that kind of association. I think kind of back to the, the dogs and the owners, I think a good piece of advice uh, to kind of go away with is – don't fear fear in your dog. Don't be phobia phobic. Mm. When dogs any amount of or shows any types of signs of fear or stress, that is the time that your dog needs you to be confident and calm more than ever. So under uh, in under any circumstance, and your dog gives you those puppy dog eyes, you have to look at the context and ask yourself: Is this a moment in which that my dog needs my aid, or is this a moment in which that I need to let my dog know, hey? I'm calm. You should be too. Yeah. A amen. I have some really good colleagues who are pediatric psychiatrists, psychologists, and they deal with this the same way because again, children feed off of their. Um, and so he, he basically applies a, a good colleague of mine, uh, applies Dr. Robert Baldwin, a very, very incredible and brilliant man, psychologist here locally. And he talks about parents and all humans having basically three different attachment styles. You have your preoccupied, which means your helicopter parent. And then you have missing and avoidance. And that's someone who really just doesn't care. Uh, the example of being in an airport causeway. You're waiting for your flight, uh, boarding area, and the preoccupied style says, child, sit next to me and don't run off. The dismissing avoidance, they've got their head buried in their iPad or their computer and the kid's gone. The kid is dead and gone, catching another flight somewhere else. <laughs> and then you have the, dis the disorganized, and that's more of a balance between the two, and it's more, more uh, favorable in both dog ownership and also child ownership. Uh, but what can happen is that if you have a preoccupied attachment style, meaning you worry too much, you really do, you worry about things that you shouldn't worry about, and you mobilize your stress response all the time. Not only is that unhealthy for you, but it creates implicit anxiety in both in, in your dog is going to do that. Now, children, if they're exposed to this a lot, they'll grow up to be opposite of They'll go away from that. They'll be more of a rebel, more independent, because uh, it's kind of like from a fire hose. You, you only wanted to sit, but you're getting this fire hose the whole time. But dogs, unfortunately, will grow up to be just like you you they will mirror your stress if you're stressed they were now when you leave then they may go back to a normalized state they may achieve their own homeostasis 
and they will go back to a equilibrium and back to their state. So, you know, the big takeaway from this whole research here, again, not just affirmation, affirmation of what we already knew, but also, hey, I've been preaching this for years. Safety, safety, provide safety for your dog, meaning ice fenced in yard, you're letting other dogs come over and trounce on your dog. You're not letting strangers attack the dog. Provide safety to your dog. You can do that outside of being a helicopter parent. You simply move around confidently. You show that everything is safe through your own actions. They study you. They feel you. Show safety. And if they feel safe, they will want to explore. Allow that. Allow them to wander a little ways away from you. That's what the mother wolf does. She tells her cubs, hey, you, you can go down there just a little ways. Just don't go around that corner or don't go hill. Just stay within sight of me. By doing so, she allows them to learn through their self-exploration. And that's vital. That's vital with children. That's vital with dogs. And when you do that, that's what leads to confidence. I love your example that you've given in the past of the mother wolf letting her cubs explore on the frozen lake within the shallow areas. But the moment that the dog exceeds into anything that it might get itself into serious trouble, mom will watch it let fall through that ice over and over again until it figures out, oh, this is not fun for me. And yeah. then it, it crosses that boundary of danger and then the mom intervenes. Cause and effect. Yeah. Cause and effect. They, they, it's necessary. When we sit there and shelter them from anything and everything, there's no operation. It's all done for them. You will learn what I want you to learn and learn nothing else. Uh, <laughs> Do you remember the lady who came and pulled her dog out of a board and train program because she saw a picture where one ear was up and one ear was down and oh. she decided that he was sad. And so he yeah, needed to leave. A, Can you imagine what it must be like today? It was a puppy and yeah. it, like, yeah. a German shepherd going puppy. back and forth. And forth. I, I can't tell you how many times my Belgian Malinois ears went from to down to up to down. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, any dog who has uh, ears, they start off as floppy and then they finally become straight and erect. Uh, and that's definitely, there you go. That's a preoccupied with all caps yeah. type owner who became her stress response was mobilized because she saw a pick up with one ear down and one ear up. And therefore, assumed that her puppy was in distress when it's actually stressed, and she acted out on that. Guys, provide safety, which then allows for exploration. Exploration then creates learning. Learning creates confidence. And if you take anything away from this little study that dogs mirror our stress, take that away because they will. And you're going to have to learn how to either control your own stress response or to make sure that you teach your dog how to deal with it. Um, And that can be done. But again, We've just got to be, can't be helicopter parents. And some stress is good. Stress grows you and makes you stronger. Well, that was part of operation, stepping through the thin ice, and suddenly it's really, uh, the mother wolf will also let them explore cactus. Very painful. They learn later on. We see those little pointy things, and and they actually have four legs called a porcupine. Leave those alone because that's a mobile cactus. Well, even even with human children, you 
you don't want to not stress the child out with learning, whether, you know, academics in school, if the child is slightly stressed, that means that they're pushing themselves to, to yeah. learn something more. You can't it's a good thing. Yeah. You can't just let them and I don't want them to feel any stress. So what they've learned so far is all they're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. You have to do that. All right. Well, that concludes this part of the show. We're now going to move into a Q&A period here. We've had a, again, we, ever since we put out that we were going to start answering and or soliciting, actually, we've always answered our listener questions, but we started to sit questions from you. here? We've got really good ones. And, I love it. Yeah. I mean, you, I didn't, I've been doing this for a long time and sometimes I, we get one of these questions and, and immediately Kira's looking at me and this will happen off the air or Josh will look at me and they say, so what's up with that, Brian? Because you know it all. <laughs> and kind of disappointing when I go, well, that answer. But on the it. other hand, really cool because, God, is, is that really happening? <laughs> I, I love it. I just love it. So anyway, we got there and see if we can do Okay. I think this is a one I feel ties into what we talked about. I have a nervous, submissive dog. What can I do to help build her confidence? Right. A nervous, submissive dog. What can I do to confidence? Okay. Without even knowing the age, because age is paramount. The younger a mammal is, the less nervous they should be. That's just welcome to brain development. Uh, you're supposed to be under the protective custody of mama wolf. You're supposed to be under the protective custody of confident dog owners. And therefore, you should not be too fearful when you're young. Uh, look at children. I never met a, I wouldn't hide in a closet playing hide and go seek. But I met a lot of 30-year-olds. You couldn't shove them in the darn thing. Yeah. So on and so forth. So we, um, the more brain development the more our brain has to be able to identify what is a valid threat and what is not so that I'm ready when I have offspring because they can't identify that. So again, without even knowing the age, uh, definitely I'm going to go right back to the conclusion of the study and what you should do. Provide safety for your dog, regardless of its age. And safety means exactly what I said. You're confident. You don't other dogs to attack it. You don't allow people to attack it. You don't allow toddlers with lightsabers and plastic baseball bats to attack it. You provide safety for your animal and you provide a safe place for it to You need to let it floor. You can let it do that on a long leash. You do need to let it wander away from you because when you're there, you're the one directing all the learning. You need to let life, master teacher, do its job. Let it teach your pup. You need to be willing to let your pup become stressed, to let your pup get a little hurt. I'm not talking, ow, yeah, don't do that anymore. That's just learn from that. You need to do that. And doing this, I tell you that your, your dog will start to become more at least under the conditions in which you allow the exploration. Even good dog obedience, we tell people, if you want your dog to be reliable in its response to any command, any command that you give it, then you must have already proofed 
that command and that response under any condition it will come across that you need to utilize it. Case in point, you teach your dog to do a great down stay. Good for you if you taught that in your living room. But don't fully expect your dog to perform a down stay right next to railroad tracks and a train is speeding by. Good luck with that happening. Uh, so again, this is part of exploration and part of pushing and, and learning. And a couple ways in which that you can kind of put yourself in that position to where you can practice that stuff. One of my favorite ways is just simulating. A, I mean, how many dogs in our agility class come in with <laughs> almost little to no confidence? And by the end of it, they're flying over that stuff. Oh, yeah. That was so awesome yeah. to see them do that. It, a situation in which that you can put you and your dog in that the dog feels a little stressed and the dog goes, I don't know if I got this. And you're there to say, uh, no, you do got this. I believe in you. We can get together. Oh, you fell a little bit, but look, you're still alive and we're carrying on. And the dog kind of takes that into other areas. It's now easy to accomplish things that are slightly stressful in the. Well, when you guys get young puppies in, don't you start them out on the agility Absolutely. or yeah. something that's geared more towards their size right. and age, right. but still. To build confidence. Yeah, absolutely. The you're just all you're doing with that agility equipment is you're setting your dog up to learn. You're putting it in a position to learn to its own self. What you're doing, put paw in front of that paw. And guys, if you're listening to the show, think about your past or even present. Anything that we learn and learn permanently. And those things that affect our confidence are trials that overcome. Learning how to overcome a trial prepares you to overcome even more challenging conditions in life. It's learning. You habituate. I can be knocked down. I'm never out of the fight. And why is it like that? Because you were subjected to that. You were not totally sheltered and kept away from this. So you're right. All that stuff works. You just have to let the animal learn, let it explore, provide safety, and it will blossom. I promise you. This is what I do day in and day out. That's what I recommend. Okay. Moving along. My dog has developed a very bad barking problem. It started with her barking when people knocked on our door, but then led to her barking at people with hats or hoods on when we were on a walk. She barks at everything when doors are closing, other dogs are walking by our house, any common household noise. What? Correct this. It's driving me crazy. Wow. I bet this person company. Yeah, it's a great question. A lot of company. All right, again, age. Oh my gosh, I cannot tell you how important it is to take age into account. The younger the mammal, the younger the brain. As the mammal develops, the right hemisphere of the brain, the aperture recognizing valid threats versus invalid threats, that aperture opens fully by the time most dogs are two years of age and most humans usually about 17 years old. Um, although I'm not sure about that. If I had to take a guess, I would, I would assume that this dog had just reached a year or, or just a little bit past a year. I mean, it's kind of coming into that. Um, oh, maybe I should start taking a little bit of responsibility to protecting this place because I feel like I'm getting capable of doing that. And And it's also a good example of how behaviors morph, meaning 
The mechanism that may have driven barking at the door was the arrival of an unfamiliar mammal at that door. I don't know you. And hence, again, instinct is is the default mechanism for all behavior. So instinct tells me, sound the alarm. Mm -hmm. Sound the alarm. This goes back to my wolf heritage. There's an alien at our door. And an alien wolf at our door when I'm young is not good news. If a wolf pack in the wild catches an alien wolf anywhere near the denning site, it's not enough to kill it. They will eviscerate it. You won't even get a DNA sample. So that flows down into our dog. So I sound the alarm because someone's at the door. All right. Then I got success with that because nowadays, how many people come to your door? I mean, between deliveries of food, deliveries of packages, your mail. So all these foreign and alien wolves showing up, spark, bark, bark, and guess what? They leave. By golly, they leave. That worked. So we had some success happening, probably driven from either territorial type instinct, or I was just fearful. Oh my gosh, the thing that showed up at the door was really scary looking because it was big and we have a glass door. Uh, But then next thing you know, you have these humans showing up and maybe this changes. And I always tell everyone, it's during the winter months that we see a spike in aggression. Because again, dogs learn through their eyes first. And the form, the silhouette of humans change drastically with wintertime. Now, all of a sudden, we have on big puffy coats. We have beans. We have hats. We change our form. Dogs that cannot interpret a signal. If I can't interpret the signal, I mean, I'm used to seeing people look a certain way, like a uniform UPS person or a uniform FedEx person, so on and so forth. And then all of a sudden, something that same thing shows up, but now it's wearing a puffy coat or it's wearing a hat. Don't think for a second that the dog thinks that's the UPS guy or the FedEx woman. No, it looks different. And remember the canine brain, if I don't have the ability, if I cannot interpret the signal, what do I do? I either avoid it or I'm fearful of it. Mm-hmm. So now all of a sudden I bark even more. I bark a lot more. I got out 50 barks in two seconds where I used to only get out 10. And what happened? It worked. You know, guys, one of the, um, one of the hallmarks of the stress response is not just the, um, the immediate mobilization of energy, but it's also the immediate of your cognition. Think about it. When you're about to die, you believe, your brain is going a million miles per hour. Oh my God, how did I get out of this last time? Is there somewhere to hide? Where can I run? What can I do? A thousand miles per hour. Plus your senses are on super alert. You can anything. You can hear anything. You can see anything, smell anything. You are fully awake, fully alive, and you're Cognition is going in overdrive. So guess what? I'm going to remember exactly what got me out of this last time. So hence, someone shows up with a hat, bark, bark, bark. Now that drives them away. And next thing you know, my my senses are high overdrive, my vision, my my sense of smell. And now what was that? What was that little sound? Oh, bark. And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it finally goes away. It will go away. And there we go. We have this young animal, guaranteed, or an older animal, morphing. I experimented. 
I did this for this reason. So how do you solve it that do to do this? Things one, provide safety always. So get the safety going. Start taking more control. Start building filters. Uh, meaning, hey, you don't. I appreciate you letting know someone's at my door, but I really don't need to know when they're making a delivery three houses down. So therefore, building filters. Reward the dog for what you want. I mean, I like it when our dogs bark at the door. Yeah, but I want them to be quiet when they leave. Yeah, when we discern that it's not a foe, it's a friend. Uh, you do the same thing. You work on that. Come up with a command. We use quiet. Quiet's a great command. Use that. Put a leash on your first time you say quiet. You, dogs never heard it. You might as well say scuba knock. They don't have a clue what that is. I can't interpret that signal. So you have to teach it to them. And usually it's, it's one of these, hey, hey, sit, or just a little tug on the leash. Stand down. I, I have it. By doing regular obedience, you establish that among at least the two of you because I, I can do things. Well, if one of us has to deal with the threat, who's more qualified to do so? The one that can that can control the other, or the one that's just simply being controlled. Yeah. So it's about safety. Uh, build your leadership. Command called quiet or hush, whatever you want to use, and implement it under conditions that you do not want barking, but definitely reward under the conditions in which you want barking. When Captain goes off at the door, I put him in a down when I've just had enough, and he may get a couple little woof woofs out, but he's not a or like he was. Yeah, that's it. By anything lays down, if you look and then your body will follow. It will start following. The heart rate will drop and you have a natural calming. Cool. What's next? Okay. This, this question, I don't think a lot of people have, I hope at least anyway. Okay, here we go. My dog has a problem with eating rocks. He has been rushed to the vet three times now because he eats rocks. Is this something that is dilated or behavioral? Are you eating at my house? <laughs> just teasing. Oh, that was mean. <laughs> I'm just teasing. Okay. So that's one of those questions where, you know, I, I owned a veterinary hospital for many years, but I was scratching my head going, oh, oh, I've heard of, but I did. I reached out to veterinarian, Dr. Kelsey, or Kelsey on a radio show times, a big superhero here on the show. And I said, hey, doctor. What's up with this? And he said, well, it's probably behavioral. However, I've had clients before that reported the same type of uh, behavior. It may not have been with rocks. It could have been with just a lot of mold. Uh, and he performed a stomach biopsy, found out that they had inflammatory bowel disease, kind of like Crohn's just like disease, people? just like homeless, Crohn's disease. So the first thing I'm going to tell you is, have your dog checked out physically. Anytime we have odd behavior, what we believe to be odd behavior in dogs, eating rocks. Because, okay, I get that you ate it the first time, maybe second time. But about the third time, you should have learned through your own self-discovery that rocks, A, don't provide life-sustaining energy. B, they start to hurt after a while. It's just not 
good. And animals do learn that. There was a time period in which wolves were feeding on a lot of cattle out west. And so a part of the experiment is that when cattle would die of natural causes or uh, injury or medical illness that they have, instead of just hauling the body off, they would taint the body with this slight level of, I hate to use the word poison, minuscule. And it was just enough for wolves to get, you know, die, mm-hmm. not feel good, a little Montezuma's revenge. And over a period of four years, all the wolves in that had longer attacked. Wow. They started learning. They started, cattle are bad. Don't eat those. Those cause you to have a severe problems. So it's natural for your dog to explore. And again, why we talk about keeping them safe uh, with a young puppy, especially because they'll eat anything. They'll eat your underwear. They'll eat your socks. They'll eat anything. But when they persistently eat something that they should have learned from behavioral, but out the physical problem first. Now, from a behavioral standpoint, how do you deal with this? Number one, inhibit, flat out inhibit. Don't allow your dog to have access to rocks. And if it didn't learn on its own that rocks are bad, maybe the feedback was just way too delayed. I ate it, and it was like two days later that I felt really bad. Um, and definitely the dogs don't go associate. I eat rocks equals veterinarian. <laughs> They're not going to no. put that together. I wish they would, then maybe they'd stop. So you might have to step in and teach them that rocks are bad. And a great tool for that, again, for a really young dog is your long line. They start to mouth rocks out, come up with a command. That means anything in your mouth, anything that I want out, when you hear this signal, spit it out. So you can do that with a young dog. Older dogs, you can use a remote caller. Teach them that you're not involved. I didn't have anything to do with that. Rocks actually can cause discomfort the second you touch them, not long after you ingested them, but the second you touch them. So now all of a sudden they put their mouth on the rock. You simply from inside the house, press the button, dog gets immediate haptic signal. And because they do what's called natural pairing, they will very quickly pair that with the rocks, which is the desired outcome when using a remote caller. That's not the time I'm going to stick my head out the door, say no, and then press the button. Because then what the animal will learn is that the rocks aren't dangerous, Brian is. So swallow away, chew away, all I want to do until Brian steps out the door, then I will stop. So I'm going to do that remotely with a remote caller. And what level? You have to play with it. Start with a level that's enough to immediately cause the dog to stop mouthing the rocks. But if the dog goes back to the rocks again within a few minutes or the next day, note to self, turn it up. Because that obviously wasn't enough incentive to stay out of the rocks. And you just keep doing that till the dog says, you know, I'm good. I think I'll just leave rocks alone. Either way, both of those will get that thing done. Any other questions while we still have time? We have a few minutes left and then we're going to have to go. So, Okay. I have one more. My dog has a tendency to get hot spots from her electronic collar. What causes them and what can I do to prevent them? Are some dogs more prone to hot spots than others? I knew remote collars were bad. <laughs> I knew it. All right. And yep, there we go. That's uh, end of story right there. We won't discuss them again. Um, Not anyone- hot spots. It's burning them. Yeah. Uh, there you <laughs> Oh my gosh. <laughs> okay, remember, it hurts for me to laugh today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right, so any dog can get a hot spot. What are hot spots? 
hotspots are nothing more than a an insult to the skin of the dog, the upper epidermis. Uh, so therefore, when you have remote training collars, they tend to have metal contacts. The metal contacts rub on the skin, and over a period of time, they can wear the skin down, which then now has an open wound. And open wounds invite bacteria, and here we go. The dog wants to scratch. Typically, hot spots occur when the dog's fur becomes wet. Either they salivated a lot or they drank a lot or they swam a lot and no one bothered to take the remote collar off. So now you have metal contacts on really soft, rubbery skin from all the moisture. It penetrates the skin. Again, then comes bacteria and comes infection. And now you have a hot spot. I don't believe that in, in my knowledge that other uh, there's any type of breed of dog that's more prone. I would simply say the ones that I've seen get it the most actually are ones that have more fur because you don't see it happening. Right. You know, young or dogs that have very short hair. You see it occurring. You see it long before it becomes really bad. But these long hair dogs, you really don't. You don't see it happening till it's way too late. Till it is a hot mm -hmm. spot, not a preforming hot spot, but it is a hot spot. So what do you do? Keep your dog's neck dry. Make sure you move the e-collar around to different spots on the neck. Do periodically check it. It should be put on your dog and left on for days at a time. Every time you put it on, every time you take it off, you check that neck. And if you do that, I guarantee your dog will no longer have hot spots. Okay, guys, that's going to be the end of the show for this week. We'll see you guys again next week. We got another hot topic and we have some really hot questions. Until then, enjoy your week. Have a good one. We'll see you next week. Take care. Thanks for tuning in this week. Please join host Brian Bailey again for another edition of Taming the Wild and Your Dog next Wednesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Your dog's welfare and your life may depend on it.